Hey Vapo Negative fans, this is Jesse, co-chair and chief science officer of the Pod is Killing Me Foundation, here with a special announcement. Put down the black cherry number one, and drop the creepy green apple, because the Pod is Killing Me Foundation is teaming up with Vapo Negative's parent company, Golden Dawn Petroleum Products, to bring you a brand new offer. All you have to do is gather up your current Vapo Negative pods, seal them in an airtight storage container, take it on down to your local health department, and tell them Vapo Negative sent ya. Then, just have a friend take a picture of you signing the waiver, share it on social media with the hashtags hashtag #VapeLife and hashtag #VapoNegativeRecall, and don't forget to tag Pod is Killing Me, Golden Dawn Petroleum Products, and the Center for Disease Control and Vapo Negative will send you all new replacement pods for free featuring their new and improved formula. You'll also receive a complimentary sample of their latest flavor, Puff You to Death. But wait, that's not all! You will also be entered into a sweepstakes where you and a friend could win an all-expenses-paid trip to New Mexico to visit the Pot is Killing Me Foundation headquarters, where you will be given a tour of our state-of-the-art science lab 200 feet beneath the Earth's crust. Stay tuned for more info. Vapo Negative. You'll love it to death. Vapo Negative and its parent company, Golden John Petroleum Products, promise to replace all the products currently recalled by the FDA, DEA, and CIA for health and political reasons. Vapo Negative is now safe to use in Serbia, but no longer can be sold in Bosnia. Please use responsibly and discontinue immediately if you begin experiencing coughing, hacking, wheezing, bleeding from the eyes, loss of fingernails, development of hive mind, recurring nightmares of missing children, and dry mouth. to episode 11 of Pod is Killing Me. I'm Jesse. And I'm Jeff. And today we are starting on Life is Killing Me, the namesake of the podcast and uh, an underrated album, I feel. but Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of, I think it was even underrated by myself until I started to get really into it yet again. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, when I get away from it, it goes lower on the list, and then when I, every time I listen to it, I'm like, uh, no, this actually goes further up. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I mean, I if you go on the Spotify, I Don't Want to Be Me is like by far their number one song. And I what, what I just read is that it's, at the time of the interview I was reading, which, fuck, I should have looked at when that was, but it had 38 million plays on Spotify, so um, that's... Far and away, they're their biggest, their biggest song. But this album, I mean, even the band itself, as we'll see with some quotes I pulled, they, it's it, it doesn't get a lot of love. But it's that's so weird because it's you know what I think it is is this is kind of what the best way to put it is this is what you would call um it's not a holding pattern it's more like a consolidation. It's like it it feels like it 
kind of is redoing everything the last three records did over again. Yeah. You know Including I mean? like the hardcore stuff. You get some of those hardcore songs again. Yeah. Something that I think was absent in the last couple albums. So, um, yeah, so there's definitely zero of that on October rust, but it gets more lush. There's moments that kind of feel like that. It's funny to me. I, my belief on that album is I feel like that should have been the follow-up to bloody kisses. Life is killing me. Yeah. Like in a really weird way, I think musically it could have made sense as the follow-up like right to that. It, Cause it doesn't feel like anywhere near quite the leap forward as October rust. It just feels like, uh, like variations on the same thing that bloody kisses already did. You know, you got yeah. elements of like, you still got their Beatles stuff in there. You still got, um, the hardcore songs that are in there including ones that are kind of joking. Um, it, the only difference is, is it feels a lot more depressing, I think, than um, than Bloody Kisses did. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, the what are the hardcore songs on Bloody Kisses? We Hate Everyone and... Kill All the White People. Kill All the White People, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, here you get I Don't Want to Be Me. Uh, yeah. I Like Goyle's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah kill all the white goyles <laughs> and then um but. even their even their cover kind of feels is played at a much more like almost like a hardcore version of yeah. the angry inch uh itch song inch yeah sorry so this one came out in 2003 i don't have too much about the year i know you do jeff um <laughs> oh yeah i couldn't i mean even when i was trying to find like albums like personally that i enjoyed that came out this year i uh, there they were few and far between well hopefully did you get any i got two. <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> wasteland yeah the thing that's kind of funny is i noticed that when it comes to my music collection the aughts as a whole is like a huge dry spell for me for music and but the 2010s there's a lot more yeah, I, I guess I lied. I have four that I wrote oh. down, so oh, not thank, too bad. thank God. It's like, there's like, thank fucking God, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, because I was like struggling here. That's the one thing I didn't get. Um, I got a lot of stuff about music, but none of it's really about... There's things I somewhat kind of like, but most of it's just more about the climate that changed. Um, obviously, this is, now the, this is now the first four-year gap between albums that we get with them, which they do again between this and the next one. Um... From the last time we were with our boys and the world coming down era, it seems like the world itself kind of started to come down in a major way, as did the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like everybody kind of caught up with them. Um, a major event when, happened. This is when, like, on the last one, how Kenny was saying, like, talking about Napster, this would have been the <laughs> era when it really started to hit a little more. Yeah, this would have been the LimeWire era. This would have been the era of... Uh, like really, this would have been the era where you downloaded uh, all caps with that weird underscore in between words song files that would say like "just can't get enough" uh, dash soft cell, you know, and it would be a file that can't open from LimeWire. Yeah, or just something completely <laughs> fake like "corn covering rooster" by Allison Chains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, asshole like... son, weird owl, <laughs> hilarious in parentheses. Oh come on, don't don't spoil our our next gag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah like it was the world of that um and uh like i said th there's an elephant in the room that we'll get to in a bit but um i was just gonna say that 
the year, I looked up just some like kind of historical things that happened in that year that kind of are tangentially related to music and media. And here's a few things I got right away. We get off right to a bang in, in that year, January 13th. Pete Townsend can't explain what was on his hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> the day after my birthday, my birthday wish came true. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's so funny because um, it kind of tracks because Tommy, the music, because the album Tommy is basically just the Nightman by Charlie from It's Always Sunny. <laughs> like, if you look at, listen to both of those, you're like, yeah, this is exactly the same thing. <laughs> is that the word fiddling about on it? it yes. Everything about from the <laughs> Uncle Ernie and everything like that. Yeah. I'm your wicked Uncle Ernie. I'm glad you won't see or hear me as I fiddle about. <laughs> it's a hundred percent like you know there may as well have been the fucking toll troll in there <laughs> so yeah he gets arrested for stuff that's on his computer and you know we won't have to go too too much more into that but uh you can google biz- it if you're interested yeah. look up pete townsend controversy and yeah exactly maybe add the word child in there don't yeah. that's it though do not add any other words yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we also got, uh, in February 3rd, police respond to a disturbance call and they find actress Lana Clark uh, dead with a gunshot wound in a driveway uh, of Phil Spector's house, who happens to be her boyfriend. Uh, the interesting thing about that one is that Phil Spector has had many, many stories about him being a deranged lunatic who always carried a gun. And he, when he famously produced the Ramones album uh he famously pointed it loaded at joey ramone's face and kept telling him to sing differently <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll actually be doing a phil specter uh special yeah, he'll be next yeah on a, on on our next series wife is killing me yeah <laughs> that's excellent oh my god okay february 20th the band great white performs at a concert in rhode island Oof. unfortunately there was a problem with the pyrotechnics and the entire building immediately caught fire, killing 100. I did a, not realize. Holy fuck. Dude, I, I knew about remember. I didn't realize. Yeah, 100. Holy shit. A, a disturbed Marine on base watches the news and he vows that one day he will top this at an upcoming damage plan show. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> And that will inspire a song on the next album. Uh, let's see. Yeah, now, here's where it gets where you kind of forget how awful shit really was back then for people too young. April 1st, Pearl Jam has some fans walking out of their concert after Eddie criticizes Bush and the Iraq war. But Eddie is quick to say, just to clarify, we support the troops. <laughs> oh god doesn't that fucking just make you crawl bozo alert bozo yeah. alert <laughs> this is also the same exact moment in time within the same month that the dixie chins dixie chicks get banned from radio uh clear channel instantly complies with the the, the boycott call you forgot about how bad the woke mob was back then you know you couldn't say anything <laughs> without getting canceled right you know, and speaking and speaking of Clear Channel, this is the la- the last couple of years from here are kind of the be- end, the beginning of the end in a major way of like all rock radio. And looking it up, radio station ownership consolidation occurs rapidly from 1999 to 2003. Clear Channel immediately prunes playlists, even more so after 9/11, because now they could use political reasons to take songs off the air. 
And the old days, they used to be called Freeform FM. That used to be the thing back then in the 70s and into a minor degree in the 80s where like the DJs got to kind of choose what to pick. And that's why if it wasn't for that ability, Roxette never would have had a career. A DJ's friend gave him that tape of that and he goes, and he just randomly put the song to look on and then people started calling going, what's that song? Right? Well, now he couldn't have done that because there would have been like a playlist automatically made and his job is just to like play the next thing. Right. Like, and it's super limited what they play. So that came really into high gear in the later half of the 90s on rock radio. And then just every year, the list got smaller and smaller. So a lot of this happens because uh, all declines through the 80s and 90s and greatly accelerates after the 1996 Telecommunications Act passed. And if you want to know why your cable or Internet bill is so high and why most media that you have now largely sucks, this is the reason. And everything becomes centralized and all of it sucks. And the more rock stations adopt these limited playlists, the less people find reason to listen, which makes them smaller and more reliant on just a few hit songs to make ad revenue go up. And it kind of does this weird death spiral. Had October Rust come out in 1976 instead of 1996, there's a good chance the average FM listener would have heard and remembered Burnt Flowers Fallen on the radio. Yeah, because a FM DJ, if you happen to be a fan, he'll play all of side two. You know what I mean? You just would know yeah. these songs mm-hmm. like like bizarre songs from Pink Floyd that are not singles used to get played on FM stations when I was a kid growing up. You know what I mean? It wasn't just money and like another brick in the wall. Like you'd hear like, yeah. hey, you or anything else like you hear run like hell like those would get played just as much. Yeah. And so, I mean, it is kind of funny how like all of that disappears, you know? Um, basically the brass ring of the music industry was finally having its massive contraction and typo negative was a casualty as they weren't quite big enough to be grandfathered in as legacy acts, like likes of like a Bruce Springsteen or something. Also in the month of April, iTunes opens the, the, the iTunes store finally opens and this signals the death of the long form album for the casual listener. Yeah. Also, here's a fun one here that has no relevance to any part of the future whatsoever. But on July 30th of 2003, I didn't realize this, but the Rolling Stones, ACDC, Rush, the Guess Who, all headline a benefit concert in Toronto to prove that the city is safe from SARS. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck SARS. Who who remembers that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She thinks she missed the train to Mars. She's out back catching SARS. <laughs> but um, uh, I, yeah, yeah, dude. So we also we also forgot to mention that between World Coming Down and this album, a little thing called nine eleven happened. <laughs> I'll explain exactly what that was if you don't mind. I, I uh, yeah, one B- line Bush in it. did it. That's all you yeah. need to explain. <laughs> in a terrible tragedy, on September 11th, 2001, four planes are hijacked and turned into projectile weapons, crashing into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, killing thousands. The world was never the same, and a hideous Pandora's box was opened, creating a new police state, endless wars, and most chilling of all, giving Pete Davidson a career. <laughs> I was just thinking about that randomly, too. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I have a couple of post 9-11 things that are from the year of and then also 2003, like the Pearl Jam thing and all that. The point being that this is just a good example for people who are too young to remember how rotten shit was. 
But like in September 4th of 2011, Toxicity by System of a Down was released on September 4th. Chop Suey is massive and on radio. After 9-11, the single was put on a song of a list of songs deemed inappropriate by Clear Channel and its radio play abruptly plummets back down. Thankfully, yeah. it was already big enough that it was like too late to contain it. Had it been released a week later, we, the likelihood it ever would have got played. Um, September 10th, here's one. Blink-182 started shooting a video for Stay Together for the Kids, featuring the band playing in a derelict house. When they try to finish the video the following day, the 9-11 attacks in the World Trade Center in New York City occur, and the band abandoned the attempt and decided to shoot a different video for the song. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the kid's so angry he throws like a paper airplane and it blows up a building or something like <laughs> jesus christ yeah that's so bizarre why what was the, what did the concept end up being for the for the final video i wonder you know it's funny i don't know i think they're just in a suburban house and like everything looks like Zack snyder sh- slow motion of people being mad you know <laughs> and the band playing i don't really quite remember i can't even remember but- that song Here's your holiday. I just remember that kind of part of it, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, for people who don't remember that, like, post 9-11 was like a two to three year version of that, like, three days after Russia invades Ukraine. Everyone is hysterical and stupid as humanly possible. And people are trying to, like, you know, we had, like, before people were trying to say, oh, Moscow mule, don't you mean Ukrainian mule? Right. It was the same kind of thing, except it was freedom fries instead of French fries and shit like that. Um, but yeah, Dude, I mean, a side note, sorry to cut in. That reminds no, me, no. I, I saw people in the YouTube comments for uh, Sisters of Mercy, Dominion, Mother Russia being like, "Erm, uh, this is a little awkward now. Is, should I be playing this out of my car now? When he's saying oh, Mother Russia, uh, it's a little awkward. <laughs> no, no, he actually, no, there's a special way to do it, guy. You just... Drive your car as fast as you can while playing it right into a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that will totally absolve you of all, like, any fault or complicitly, you know, complicity in, in you know, having ever liked that song. <laughs> yeah, if you, and if you manage to survive, you can just say that you were having some kind of seizure or something and... You, know. <laughs> you can see Putin controlled your car at that moment because yep. you were playing a song that said <laughs> Russia. A song from 1987, which had nothing to do with this fucking invasion, but you know. Right. God, people are such fucking morons. God, yeah, I was just, fuck. Yeah, can you please tell me I'm a good person? <laughs> but if you want to know where that, like, neurotically psychotic ideas come from, it does come from this particular period of time. Um, Essentially, what happens at this point is... uh. I'm trying to think, like, the music landscape as a whole, though, like, 2003, new metal is still around, and when you look at sales figures, it's kind of still, in terms of rock music, that and butt rock are still kind of the kings of the castle. But their cultural cachet is not where it was. It's definitely taken some hits. Like, the reputation's not the same anymore. Um, The music press no longer, like, gives them fawning coverage. If anything, they're extremely... Uh, dismissive of them and in a way that seems to belie the idea that they're just extremely excited to no longer have to be covering these bands <laughs> yeah. for a reason. And I suspect for certain reasons that I recently looked back and I found an old article from 2003 from spin um, called the rebirth of cool. 
And this is an article they were writing about the Strokes and all those bands like them. Yeah. Uh, breathlessly just like like giving them the most top you'd ever seen. Like, right. Just and literally them the, off. Oh, yeah. In the first paragraph, they're saying that the band is effortlessly cool. Their tousled hair and like their thrift store clothes. Like, like, like the guy is literally like in awe of them. And then he says that the, their bouncer bodyguard goes up and he goes, so should we let any of the jail bait in? It's the first thing the guy says. <laughs> and there oh, is God. a line later on when he's describing how cool they are. Actually, there's a few themes within this. One of the lines is, this is music for girls who used to kind of feel something for NSYNC who are now older and hornier for this kind of band. And for the boys who notice that this is where the girls are. And I went, that's exactly why the music press fucking loved it. Because when they were at a corn <laughs> show, it was just a bunch of pissed off dudes from the Midwest. And it's like, I write for Spin Magazine. And it's like, yeah, you ain't getting fucked here for that. But if you're in over there with a bunch of like social climbers in New York and you're like, um, I write for Spin Magazine. It's like, maybe you think there's a chance you're going to get laid. <laughs> and I really do believe 100% that is why the critics like the bands they like. That's why they've always hated fucking prog rock because prog rock is a sausage, pe- like a sausage party of an audience. Yeah. <laughs> but and then the other element of that, which probably portends so much more uh, to our present than anything else, is when they start to because back then it was maybe the last four or five years where things like cred still counted for something where the phrase sell out mattered. Um, and they try to cover it, which is the funniest thing because the def- <gasps> They're extreme. They're hyper defensive, which is um. So like your dad is like a huge music industry titan, and like you grew up, <laughs> and you guys all went to like the most posh school of New York, right? The private academy that costs sixty grand a year, and they were like, so it doesn't have to meet, and they instantly get hyper defensive about it, and they brush off those accusations, and I go, ah, yes, the nepo babyfication of all rock music. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. Or at least of all indie music, basically. But that begins a yeah. trend of every indie musician's parents' names being blue links on Wikipedia. Right. For real. I was going to say, the last thing that happened, 2003 is maybe the first year it begins to happen, which is what I like to call the Little Miss Sunshineification of indie music, <laughs> which is the beginning of all songs kind of becoming overly fucking precious sounding and like indie music as a whole kind just becoming a repository for like sounding like iPod commercials and everything sounds like oh, jingles yeah. like the one two yeah. three four like all that shit Feist. <laughs> yeah all of that sort of stuff it's, it basically it, it all sounds like video they all sound like background music for HR training seminars um, <laughs> and, and it sucks because it, it, it became and it became a house style rather than a mode of production which is what it used to be which is why a long time ago different indie bands would be good have beat happening, but you could also have Nirvana and they'd sound completely fucking different. And yeah. it's like, Nope, it's one style now. And, and everything has like this weird cutesy kind of like, uh, the Ted lasso vacation of fucking <laughs> indie music. The postal service. It postal came, came service out that year. Came out in 2003. And, yeah. Yeah. The death cab I mean, for cutie thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I honestly, I do like some death cab songs, so I can't shit on them too much, but no, no, because yeah, like when I, it you, does, when I feel like this, this this fits in. Postal Service was in so many commercials and movies, and yeah, definitely sort of was like at the at the vanguard of that that cutesy. 
Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it kind of promises a sort of like sexlessness and a chaste kind of twee good time, you know, um, it, it's really strange. And, Love and me twee good time. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> basically this genre of music as it emerges is no place for typo negative. Right. But you yeah. do have on the other area, there's like kind of slightly more making inroads with mainstream dumb guy <laughs> rock. Which is like, and there's a yin and a yang to dumb guy fucking music back in that era. Because like on yeah. the yin of it, the positive side, you got Andrew WK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, he gives you and promises you and delivers exactly what he promises there. He's always kind of like, a, like, a, like the good positive version of it. And then the evil version of it is Jet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, the Fuck, Jet, man. for people who don't remember, I, they they were the Greta Van Fleet of their day. Yeah, I had an ex who liked Jet. Oh, God. It was, Jet, it was a point of contention. Yeah, Jet was kind of a, is basically if Keep Calm and Chai Vaughn was basically a song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> See, type out, of- bitch. so typo is, yeah, like, like they have kind of like an affable dumb guyness to them. But a little bit, but they're like for actual like like they're they're it's like dumb guy music for smart people, you know, as opposed to fake smart music for actual dumb people. Like right. so typo doesn't fit, cannot fit there too. They're also a bit too theatrical for those guys' tastes. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what else. I mean, there is like you pointed out Evanescence, but I kind of like lumped them in with like butt rock boring guys like The Calling or Lifehouse. Yeah. You know, yeah. if maybe if Evanescence is a little Evan Evanescence is a little harder than that i lump them in with like lincoln park it's like soft new metal yeah it's oh yeah you're right it is like it's a it's a watered down new metal yeah because lincoln park is but, never as heavy as like the wave one bands they're kind of the, right. the they're, they're the point in which it switches over yeah but yeah like but i still kind of lump them in in the sense that they kind of they're very seventh heaven he- uh, f- heavy <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like it is, it does. It feels like a seventh heaven. Like if, if they could make their own soundtrack. It. Yeah. But, um, they're the last grasp of like that weird rise of like the Puritans from like the late nineties, like the evangelical kids, like the, uh, yeah. promise rings. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Creed and POD also kind of were like Creed's floating around, but at the end and POD was still just starting too. So, um, once again, the definitely no place for this version of typo negative. Yeah. And then there's another band I kind of wanted to reference as a whole here, who oddly enough, this feels kind of funny, Interpol. For just a minute, you seem to think this is going to be like the deep, like Joy Division sounding goth post-punk kind of thing coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a huge album and it inspired a lot of other bands, but it feels like those are the bands like your Drab Majesties and stuff that come out a decade later. So it feels like they did something, but it feels like it, it, it flashed 
And then it was people who saw that grew up. All those things didn't pay off until the 2010s. Yeah. I don't think Interpol really, I have not really listened to too much Interpol. I remember when Richard got that album, Um, (laughs) but uh, I I remember liking it, but yeah, me too. Actually never, I don't think they lived up to the promise of the first album from like the fans I know. It yeah. seems like a lot of people just really love that first album and then they'll like stick up for the rest. But mm-hmm. it does seem like it was kind of a drop off from there or they just didn't really push for any further. Yeah, I, 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 I'm actually 100 percent with you on that. I remember even the music press kind of doing this. Hey, well, like kind of tone with all of their follow ups. And yeah. by like the third one, it was like everyone had dropped off. I th- you know what it yeah. kind of feels like? It feels like uh, every one of Interpol's follow-up records was received the same way Hail to the Thief was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ah, oh, damn it, Radiohead, I was, you were this close. Like, right. Man, I, I thought you were going to have guitars. You know, people getting, like, really mad at them. <laughs> when are you going to make another Benz? <laughs> Quit being weird. But, um, yeah, so, like, I was going to say, like, uh, any hope for mainstream success flamed out with them by their second record. They failed to catch fire uh, after the first one. Once again, Typo Negative has a foot in the door with this because like the gothy kind of sounds and the same influences on, on some parts of it, but they're too fucking metal. So they can't get yeah. in there, you know, yeah. and it seems to be the last one. And the one that is the funniest, and it's going to be a dumb take on my end, but um, pop punk is of course, massive still but it's starting yeah. to change the little brothers of 1999 yeah. <laughs> are uh aj soprano is no longer the fat kid with the bowl cut he's now the kid uh trying to drown himself in the pool you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i feel like the thing about typo also that sort of differentiated themselves from those other like sort of goth tinged acts is typo negative has a fucking sense of humor yes like every like even their more serious songs, like the lyrics, like Peter had this like tongue in cheek, you know, dark sense of humor, <clears throat> which is completely absent from something like Evanescence. It, so, it's very, um, it reminds me of 80s U2. Like everybody kind of took that pose, the post grunge pose infected all the other genres of rock. We're all infected by that, which was Kurt Cobain was so tortured and the critics adored him. And I think the reason was because he was so tortured. So if I'm extremely tortured, the critics are going to love me, you know? So everything (laughs) is so angsty, you know? And even, like, the shittiest, lamest fucking songs all have to have this overly morose, like, but, like, in a joyless kind of morose, like, kind of thing, you know? Like It's, like, songs by, like, Tonic or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) If you could only see, you know? But, like, everything kind of took this kind of thing where it came across as either whining or just being petulant, you know? Yeah. But um, um, I was going to say, for pop, the pop punk thing, as because, like, the first gen is getting more serious, and so to replace them as being annoying is you, you have the next generation of even littler brothers coming up, and that would be, like, your simple plans, your some 41s and all that kind of shit. <laughs> because yeah. the, old, the, the, the now older brothers, like the, like the uh, Blink-182s, Dude, they got like, I think they got eye makeup on right now. And is that Robert Smith's voice I'm hearing <laughs> on that record? 
You know? <laughs> Don't waste your time. You're already a voice inside my head. You know, like, it's just, like, you forget, like, like they, they got all, they're like, Dude. we listened to 17 seconds a few times. Like, we're incorporating that into this record. I kind of think a little bit that the lead little, like, riff in I Don't Want to Be Me could have had them fit in with that. Yeah, that I, little bow, now, now, now. Like, I could kind of hear that in yeah. there. Like, dude, you th- this could have worked as the next single. Ataris, didn't they have, like, a fucking Boys of oh. Summer cover? Oh, <laughs> like, yes, that's right. Like, fucking terrible. Yeah. Saw a black flag sticker on a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? What could you possibly say now? Would you just say the name of, like, a weird, like, Twitch streamer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any of their names with this fucking Yeah, me neither. But it would just be um, some awful thing because that's all saw, people have memories of. Saw Hassan Piker sticker on a Cadillac. On a Cadillac, yeah. <laughs> saw um, Hassan Piker sticker on a Cadillac. But that that little that little lead riff in a phase you know, that part always sort of, it sort of reminds me of for some reason it reminds me of like the Boys of Summer lead for some reason. Oh yeah, do do. Oh yeah, to- yeah. totally. I never would have thought of that. By the way, great song, and that harkens to a time where uh, people over a certain age could write age-appropriate material about, like, being a boomer and getting divorced, you know? <laughs> like, songs mm-hmm. that are about, like, just what it is to be 40 and be like, shit, man, what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, the only thing I was going to say is, once again, uh, it seems like there just wasn't a foot in the door for where most of the rock stuff existed they kind of belong to a different era. Yeah. And it's a massive shame because like <clears throat> things had become so segmented in this time that there really wasn't a comfortable home that they could have easily fit into. Yeah. And too goth for the metal guys and too metal for the whiny goth guys, you know, like it was just and too right. heavy for the punk kids, but you know, they got too much uh punkish energy to kind of fit in with the like, you know, the the peer doom people too. So yeah. like it, it were like an unfortunate position, and and I do believe that this may have been when this. You know what's kind of funny is um, like like I I do believe that like the the album ends with a song called "The Dream Is Dead," and I can't help but yeah. think if maybe that was kind of a a remark on their <laughs> their kind of career ambitions is like making it beyond a certain point. Yeah, I mean I've. Yeah, that was actually the original title of the album too when they were working on it. Fuck, man. Um, but he yeah, Peter actually like Peter uses that phrase like talking about like what he was going through at the time. So um man. But yeah, I've I've got a bunch of quotes about it, but Go for it. First one I have here is from Kenny. This is just a short one. That's <laughs> our Karabi album. <laughs> Holy shit, Kenny, that's yeah, awesome. I fucking love him. I have, I have a lot of Kenny quotes because he like seems to give the most interviews or he is the most uh, entertaining in the interviews. Yeah. But, He's the David um, Lee Roth of the band. <laughs> yeah, I just love that. That's our Karabi album. Referring to the Molly Crew album with John Karabi, which was oh, yeah. very, uh, very panned by 
critics and the audiences alike. I think but he's my, giving. There's a they they shit on this album a lot in these quotes. They that's the band, so interesting. The band and I I mean it sounded like Peter too. We're not huge fans of this album, but um, Peter said. Uh, this was around the time he said, I guess I'm going through some sort of midlife crisis being 41 years old now. And all the things I took for granted, my health, my life, people I love dying, people I loved walking away. I was with a girlfriend for 10 years, but she left. It's like my dreams are dead. <laughs> um, so and yet this that. album, and yet this album somehow feels less dour than world coming down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, let me see. I should have like put these in some sort of order. Uh, um, but Kenny sort of on, you know, this album, he said, I think bloody kisses was an inventive record. It was like our Renaissance for the band inventively, as far as writing in our style, in a way it was a positive record, even though it was made by typo negative. I would say that even October rust was very romantic, more inventive, keeping a positive outlook that maybe this could all work out and we could really realize the dream. Then it all went downhill after that. I hate to say it. The band was still inventive, still eclectic. Peter could always compose. He was brilliant with world coming down, but that was the downturn. Now we start going, okay, we aren't going to realize the dream. And this is what we have left. Oh yeah. See, it's a consolidation. Oh my God. It's such a, you know what it feels like? Oh, God. Except they aren't in this form. They're not in this type of band. But that is a bleak thing if that's how they're looking at it. Is There's a dreaded... There's a phrase that gets said after a major band has what I would call like a career-breaking flop. Right? Yeah. Or if you have a string of them. Um, sometimes it helps you. Most of the time it doesn't. There's a phrase they use when you have an album that sounds like, quote-unquote, like you. Like the classic you. They call it a return to form. Yeah. Oh, they never say that unless you're already in the greatest hits part of your life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. when, you're in the, when you're in the here's a new song, so go to the bathroom kind of period. Oh, fuck. Yes. Yeah. So hearing that they thought of that, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Yeah. Not at all. Like, I would still have heard new shit from them and been like, yes, you know? Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're really hard on this album, but, um, Josh, rare quote from Josh. He's, he's just talking about how difficult this was to make. He said, writing was always hard, always a fight. We didn't just sit there and make these records lightly. There wasn't room for anything else in your life. It was an obsession for six months, a year. It was an enormous undertaking. Everyone was always arguing and pissed off and moody, and that contributed to it. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, because I want to know where... I'm trying to think if anything stands out immediately to me as being like... like so usually with, with records like that, you could use either... There's two types of arguments. The kind where I wanted to do this, he wanted to do that, and it makes no fucking difference to the listener... Um, or there, or there's ones where you could be like, yeah, you could tell somebody fought to put this on there and that's why it stands out like a sore thumb, you know, like, yeah, you could hear the compromise. So that's interesting. Is there any more? Oh yeah. I've got, I've got a shitload. Oh yeah. Keep going, man. No, these are all good. Cause, cause they're really putting like an interesting lens with which to hear this. Yeah. So I'm trying to focus on the ones that are about like, you know, sort of the mindset the band was in and stuff. Um, 
but but Kenny said this about Peter in particular. He said he was very disorganized during the making of Life is Killing Me. He was at one of his worst points. He wasn't getting any better as far as his addictions, and I'm not going to say that I was. When I was home, I was sometimes controlled. When I was on the road, I was terrible. And when me and Peter were together, it was even worse. And Johnny was there for this one, and he adds, I think the record reflects that. Overall, it was lacking. That record is the most disjointed in the whole catalog. There's a big question mark over everything. That is so, so it, it's so interesting because to, you know, it's funny to use this as a, uh, a jumping off point. I, I always come, there's always some record of theirs that has an analog to another band. And I would say like for origin of the feces, I now have the perfect analog to what origin of the feces is, which is that is exactly the same exact style of record as revolting Cox. You goddamn son of a bitch, which is a live album which is 90% the first fucking record with like a weird live track of something they never otherwise released. Like, are you afraid in their case, it's cattle grind and the rest of it. And then you find out it's not really live. Apparently it was an attempted to be, but it sounded the sound quality was so bad. They just re-recorded it, but kept, <laughs> but kept the audience. And so I was like, shit, a fake live album. That's just a retreat of the first record. Holy God. Yeah, it's exactly like Origin of the Feces. So in this case, for this band, or for this record, this to me, to hear it without knowing how they felt making it, um, it felt like a like like a, almost an opposite thing to me, which is it reminded me of um, The Cure's Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, where that was their double album that just kind of went every all over the place. Each song is vastly different. They do like 30 different styles over like 10, over like 17 songs. Uh, it's equally as long because this is a pretty long record. And um, except that one is like felt effortless. Everything just kind of magically came together. And it's also a little like disintegration to me in that once again, it's a consolidation. <clears throat> it's here's everything we did up to this point and we're going to do a little bit of all of it. Yeah. But because you're doing two both things at the same time, it it doesn't feel like you're stretching out any further. Like Kiss Me, it just feels like you're trying a bunch of crazy stuff within the same wheelhouse. So it's like this one sounds like Bloody Kisses. This kind of has a world come down feel. This sounds like a Slow Deep and Hard, and I think yeah. maybe that's what makes it feel disjointed. Um, it would have been interesting if there was any outtakes for this. I would have been curious to know what didn't make it. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have, we'll have to see if we can find any more lost tracks from this one like we did with World Coming Down. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and that Anus. was true. Yeah. So if you yeah. haven't listened to that, you should definitely check that out on our last episode. I'll be per- perusing the the Spain and uh the Spanish and um Japanese uh, bins for any imports. Yeah. Well, I'll be perusing the Peruvian imports. <laughs> if you know um, what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Kenny said about Peter he hated writing lyrics I remember him so many times in the bathroom on the toilet in the studio right before he had to do the vocals writing and if you told him look I think you can write better lyrics than this he'd make you sing them (laughs) (laughs) writing lyrics can suck because even if you have something to express it's being imprisoned by a certain amount of syllables and beats and timing you're playing rock and roll. You could get away with a lot of stupid lyrics. Let's face it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. Yeah. I... 
picturing Peter doing an pulling an Andrew Eldrick, you know, just just being entirely fucking high on in his case on meth in the eighties, <laughs> and then like the whole album's ready to go, but he just won't he won't let anyone else write lyrics. But he's taking fucking months to write something. Andrew Eldridge was on meth? Yeah, he was on like like all kinds of speed, and he basically, that's what broke the band up, and he started collapsing and shit. Like, Damn. he literally, like, almost died from it or something. He was just such a user, so he had to stop and clean himself up. Well, Jesus amphetamines, Christ. right? Just, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be like methamphetamines yet, I guess, but it was, yeah, he was just on absurdly high amounts of speed all the time. Damn. God, those were the glory days. I remember I was listening to an interview with <laughs> Oh no! Is is Roger Daltrey, not Pete Townsend? But he oh, okay. had a, he had an inter, uh, an anecdote about them touring Europe, you know, back in the day, and uh, it was like one of the first times the band like broke up. Roger took like a like just a case full of speed and flushed oh. it down the toilet because the band would be so high on speed that he couldn't keep up with them. Like he he would do it too, but like he literally could not sing fast enough because they were so they play too fast. They they're so high on speed, they're just playing way too fast for him to keep up with. So he <laughs> flushed it all, and they like got in a huge fight with Pete. <laughs> but um, yeah. And Pete said, "Fine, I'll find something else to occupy my time." <laughs> they're calling it. Again. They're calling it computers. You know? <laughs> Look, you can get a picture from across the world. Let's see. You I just enter get... your credit card number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I'm sounding older. <laughs> <laughs> Ever um, since I was a young boy. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, Peter went, was going through a real rough time. You know, between like worse than the world's coming down era. It sounds like because. This is between these two albums when he went to jail. Oh, fuck. That's um, right. Uh, Kenny, you know, on Peter's arrest, he said Peter was going through rehab and his girlfriend, Elizabeth. That bitch. Finally <laughs> broke up with him. Thank God. And, and then he got arrested. She ended up getting married, and she didn't even tell him. He got pretty angry about that, and he broke her new husband's jaw. That's how he ended up in jail. Oh, Jesus Christ, Pete. <laughs> you imagine being like, don't worry, he's he, he's busy in a band. He's not going to, you know, and then you see this, like, hulking giant coming after you, like, stomping over towards you. <laughs> you can feel the ground shake. <laughs> Yeah, he's like he's like a hundred yards away, running up the street directly at you. <laughs> Your cup of Jello is jiggling. Like yeah, <laughs> it follows, but the thing that follows you is Peter Steele. <laughs> but he's fully nude, like in the movie, <laughs> like Playgirl style. <laughs> he's always holding his balls. <laughs> Like you like drive away and you can just see him standing on the roof staring at you, but then he's like, you're in a movie theater and he's just he walking just... directly towards you. He's always holding his balls. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, he could only attack with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Pete oh, follows. <laughs> Pete follows. Yeah. You sleep with a girl named Elizabeth and guess what happens? 
heat follows God. That's so fucking funny that he not funny funny, but no, it is a little bit funny that he did that. I, I guess it's, yeah. It's, it is I'm just funny relieved. I will say I'm fucking relieved though when you said that who he attacked and when you said it was the guy, I was like, oh thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was like, I don't want to give those yeah. TikTok teens any ammunition. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Y'all are really listen, literally listening to an abuser who hits women. You know, like, I don't want to get me hitting that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I don't think we have to worry about that. We probably would have heard about that at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, he would have been featured as, like, on a Mount Rushmore for Tom Likas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, just one more here from Kenny about just the downturn of the band and sort of the uncertainty. He has to speak for Josh since Josh really doesn't do interviews, but he says Josh started thinking about what he was going to do next because he saw that Peter wasn't getting any better. That's when he started studying to become an EMT. Yeah, that's yeah. that's crazy when I realized that Josh know, just... Yeah, he's just an EMT now. <laughs> that is so interesting because I think Josh is like a very underrated like talent. I, I, I always felt like Josh was like the like Alan Wilder of, of typo negative. Like, yeah. I always looked at him as, like, the arranger of the band. You know what I mean? Like, he's the, like, you ever hear the or the original version of uh, Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode? No. It, it's literally, like, a funeral organ and Martin Gore singing and at a pretty slow tempo, right? Then Flood, it was Flood and primarily Alan Wilder who turned that into, like, with a house beat and sped it up. And, and Alan Wilder added the, like, the doom, 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 doom. Like, that's oh, all yeah. him. The iconic he did all melody. that. Yeah. The actual like, iconic part of that song. Same thing with um, Never Let Me Down, right? Like all like oh, the big yeah. choral keyboards that kick in for the chorus. That's all him. Kick-ass song. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that guy is a huge fucking part of that. And I feel like Josh, to, in my mind, I imagine him as being the equivalent of like, here's the song. And you're like, yep, there it is. There's the whole foundation of it. But then he puts all these extras on it, and you're like, yes. Like, he's the guy who pushes them those extra points over the top. Yeah, and, I can and see so, that. And yeah, and so it's interesting, because I would think to myself, like, well, I, I guess because you're right. I wonder if being an EMT has fucking paid more than uh, fucking still trying to be in a band would. <laughs> I would, yeah, I, I mean, I would at least imagine there's some stability in it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not like they're not getting their $38 uh, on Spotify every year from all those listens for I Don't Want to Be Me, you know? <laughs> I mean, to share, to share. They have to share the $38. <laughs> Fuck. And for some weird contract law dispute thing, unfortunately, the hated Elizabeth gets Peter's share. <laughs> to, to, pay, to pay off her, uh, her husband's uh, jaw surgery. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> Boo, we hate him. We I'm gonna, hate I'm, you. <laughs> I'm going to punch him. <laughs> yeah, we just a bunch of random fans just kind of walk, just decking that guy repeatedly. <laughs> Tune in on our next episode when we dox him. <laughs> I've got I've got a like, you know, several more real real quick ones here. Uh, Go for it, dude. But uh Kenny apparently this is him on I don't want to be me. I guess he prodded Peter into writing this song he says i i remember before he wrote it i was like dude you write great stuff but you can't write a simple song and that's what he came up with so i guess he could write a simple song 
That's actually really <laughs> funny. Just kind of just like <laughs> Kenny negged him into doing it. Yeah. Oh, like, what's please. up with all Peter these? Peter can't eight, write a simple song. Everything's eight minutes long and has like eight, like sit like seven to nine different movements within it. So yeah, yeah, they're they're very moody bluesy that way. <laughs> uh. So and you know this is some more of them just shitting on the record. Uh. <laughs> like, but talking about songs, Kenny says. The only song I really like on the record is Anesthesia. That one immediately clicked when we started playing it, and it was one of our favorites to play live. Most of the album felt like Peter was writing just to get through it, but even when he was doing that, he would come up with a gem like Anesthesia. I I disagree uh, about that being the only one, but well, I agree yeah. <laughs> with Anesthesia being great. Yeah, and then uh, this was another one where Johnny was there. He says, I always liked Nettie, too. Those two songs alone mm. justify the record. But the rest of the album feels very disconnected. Peter wasn't really applying himself, but that gives you some insight into how talented he really was because him not applying himself was still pretty good. Man, there's, it's so funny how much they say that, man, because I'm, I'm hearing songs in my mind right now, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Right, yeah, like, I mean, Todd's Ship Gods is a great fucking song. Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero. How Could uh, She? How Could She? Uh, we Were Electrocute. Yeah, shit, man. Fuck, even, I like, mean... even, like, even, like, the little interlude, like, the Drunken Paris, it's a fucking cool-ass piano, but, like, we're getting ahead of ourselves on that. Yeah. I know, and but I've, still, God, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> Speaking of We Were Electrocute, that was on the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack. Yes, it was. <laughs> and uh, Kenny says, I remember our manager saying, you're on the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack. And he says, holy cheese, bad horror movies, cheesy bands. That's how I felt about it. I've never even watched it. <laughs> like It sounds like he was like upset that they are included on it. Guys, guess what? I got you on a soundtrack. For what? <laughs> Vanilla Car- Sky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what movie did you want to be on? <laughs> I remember the typo negatives and eyes wide shut. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like a, but it, for some reason, it's just kill all the white people. <laughs> yeah. I have one quote from Peter here about a song where, I mean, it sort of relates to the, the track title, Life is Killing Me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I guess that one was inspired sort of by, you know, watching what his father went through at the end of his life. But Peter says, I really don't like doctors because they're supposed to take the Hippocratic oath. What I call the hypocritical oath. Bam. Everything, as co- everything as usual, comes down to money. Sometimes I feel like older people are being kept alive just to increase a physician's income. I really can't understand why we can so easily euthanize beautiful creatures like cats and dogs, but we keep the scum of the earth, mainly human beings, alive and in pain. I'm like... Wait, is he calling his dad the scum of the? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hold on a second. I thought like... he loved it. He he sort of gets a little confusing there. Like he starts to get pissed. Like in I, the I, middle I, of talking about that. Yeah, I think he. I, I think he just got incoherent. Obviously, I think it's just one of those things where like I'm expressing yeah. my anger, and it's like you know, humans, people equal shit. You know, maybe yeah. he was just. Uh, I think he was just in a big Slipknot mood, maybe. <laughs> Um, and I just have a couple, like just two more from Kenny here. Uh, this is just a little thing about what, about when they're making the album. 
He said, Peter had this car. It was a Grand Prix with truck tires on it, and they didn't quite fit. Have, have, you, have you seen pictures of this car? Like, no, oh, I'm like looking the, it up right the now. Be- the Beast or something like that? I'm looking it up right now. Holy it's shit. Pretty, it's pretty fucking cool. But he says, yeah, they didn't quite fit. They bought him down in the wheel wells. <laughs> Josh had to drive with him to rehearsal. <laughs> and Josh hated getting in it in the first place. And then you'd have to drive home with Peter drunk. Sometimes after rehearsal, the wheels would fall off the back of the car. I drive by, I drive by and see the car. Like, what are they still doing here? And I'd see Peter putting the wheels back on with Josh <laughs> leaning on the hood. And I can just totally see that. Just Josh like looking super fucking annoyed leaning up against the hood. Yeah. I feel like I feel like these last two records is a lot of Josh sign. <laughs> Josh stopped speaking around that time. He communicated exclusively in eye rolls and heavy sighs. <laughs> He's just I like mean, this, like with his like his EMT exam always. It's like, huh? Oh yeah, ding 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 ding. You know, starts hitting the uh, piano at, on on cue. Well, remember, I remember he was kind of shitting on October Rust in the quotes for the last episode for uh, World Coming Down. He was like, like basically, it sounds like Josh hates October Rust. I wonder Which if is it's funny because that's the one he's like really prominent on. But I he, wonder if there's like a sense of like because it failed. Like, do they actually hate it or is it because it failed? You know what I mean? It sounds like Josh just doesn't like it because it's pussy or something. I don't know. Like, like never mind that it. No, it's fucking kick ass. Like you dummy. No, but yeah. you know, <laughs> start yelling at him. Jesus, you fucking idiot. You know, <laughs> moron. Um, <laughs> Do you have more stuff about 2003? Well, I, do have one, I, do, I do have one more thing. Let's uh, keep this, cooking this, on that. Because this harkens more back to 2001. <clears throat> These all matter because everything about the nature of radio and stuff like that, the regulatory environment post 9-11 shifts way more than people realize. 2000 feels like 1996 in terms of the regulatory environment. Post 9-11, that all changes, and that does change the entire media landscape. But let's get into something a little different. This is just another fun story about post-9-11 culture to anyone who's younger, or if you're older and you kind of forgot. I want to talk a little bit about the concert for New York City, which was held immediately after, which was uh, for all the first responders and all where the entire audience were like the wives of cops and firemen and whatnot. <laughs> And uh, much of the crowd itself was extremely emotional, with victims' families and colleagues holding up portraits of the dead. A little, spe- a little Pete Davidson being hoisted yeah, up. <laughs> Why, little Petey Davidson was in the audience telling I've, his first joke. You know, I think it's a little suspicious. I think his dad might have been one of the guys planting the charges. And they, <laughs> his, you know. His, yeah. His dad died in Building 7, you know. Like, <laughs> anyway, three speakers at this event were booed. Actress Susan Sarandon for plugging oh, New York, the New York mayorality candidate of Mark Green. Actor <laughs> Richard Gere for speaking about nonviolent tolerance. And Hillary Clinton <laughs> for her anti-police views. <laughs> I hate cops. <laughs> now, they were right to do the, now, they were definitely right on that last call. Not for that reason, but just everything else. <laughs> Gear did acknowledge police views. Yeah, like, but based on what? Something the New York Post just farted out, right? 
Gear did acknowledge the crowd's jeering at his pacifist stance, stating, That's apparently unpopular right now, but that's all right. Sarandon nearly fell when she was intentionally tripped by the wife of a missing police officer whose foot came through the barricade fence at the most opportune of moments. And I got the most one opportune. Now. The foot just... <laughs> I got one more thing to read from the show. The Who plays, all these things play. When the Who plays, the fucking Union Jack and the fucking American flag come together and everyone has a boner. Because they sing, We Don't Get Fooled Again, which is really quite ironic that they're doing that at an event where they're going to blame Iraq for causing this problem. <laughs> like, you got fooled into thinking, one, America didn't do it, and two, Iraq did it. So you actually got fooled twice in that moment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, playing that song as they were getting fooled again. Adam Sandler's appearance as Opera Man was a comic highlight of the evening. <laughs> Well, it, how long, it had been how many years had it been since he had donned the cape <laughs> yeah he donned the cape he was, like, he was backstage wig. like Joaquin Phoenix and walk the line hovering over a sink <laughs> you know like all dramatically like I have to rise to the moment you know <laughs> he sang a humorous song about the greatness of New York City the end of Rudy Giuliani's term as mayor <laughs> the New York Yankees who were in the middle of playing in the 2001 ALCS by the way, they lose to Arizona. The musical acts that preceded him on stage. He talks, he talks about the other musical acts in which he mentioned that Destiny's Child gave him a, quote, Bona. <laughs> oh, I think he gave me ooh, a, a Bona. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, my God, America can laugh again. <laughs> and Osama bin Laden's alleged cowardice, including the line, Osama says he's tough, Osama says he's brave, then tell me why is Osama is shitting in a cave. <laughs> it's like, fuck, dude. God, this shit sucks so fucking much. But the idea that, the, that like they had to trot out Opera Man and be like, New York, we're going to get through this. You know? God My God. Damn. Like, yeah. yeah, so that, that shit's just fucking a bleak moment in in history uh, all of that and pop like, the culture was fucking dire for years and years and years not that it's like you know great now but fuck <laughs> but shit man yeah that is uh did you think you had some good albums in this list oh. a few at least a yeah. few good records so i the i mean the first one would be the deftones self-titled album this was their follow-up to white pony they took three years to to put this one out and uh it, it did bigger numbers right out of the gate and then it just quickly fell off and this one's only certified gold surprisingly oh. yeah so like deftones saw they were never as big as limp biscuit or corn or lincoln park um, but this was a big drop off for them. And this was kind of when I fell off. I remember feeling like this was a bit of a disappointment, but it's got some really good songs on it. Like they, they incorporate more of like the shoegaze elements and stuff and post rock stuff in there. Um, but it, it kind of is akin to this, to life is killing me in the way that it just feels really disjointed. Like, doesn't really make a, a lot of sense like some of the the tracks it, it it could like if you didn't know better it could sound like a compilation yes that makes total sense i know exactly what you mean 
Yeah. Um, this was the year uh, the band Cave In. This they were signed. They were like sort of. A, they started out as a metalcore band and then sort of graduated to like space rock. Um, they ended up getting signed to a major label, RCA, and they put out one album that just didn't do shit, and they got immediately dropped, basically. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's sort of seen as like their sellout record. It's very like failure inspired. Um, it's a fucking good record, good pop rock record, but, um, did not do shit, um, as far as numbers went. And the band has like said in interviews that there's a lot of label interference. They were given like a huge advance and then they had label people there just like pestering them to write more singles and stuff. So (laughs) that was kind of like the very, very end of bands getting big advances, rock bands anyway. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then, you know, just a couple, like, you know, just a couple things I liked from this year, uh, enslaved below the lights, weird progressive black metal band. This is their, uh, not black metal, like seven dust, like, <laughs> okay, like always black, me. black metal, like nor like Norwegian black metal, but they're very like white you know, black metal. <laughs> <laughs> not black, black, metal. very, very, very white. Like translucent <laughs> black metal, yeah. but good, really good album. If you like weird progressive shit, there's a lot of cool keyboard stuff and quiet passages. They're a cool band. And then, uh, Opeth, Swedish prog, prog death metal band. This was like, they released an album with no distorted guitars or growling at all. It's all just like, <laughs> what the very, hell? very soft, like prog stuff. It's actually has some really good fucking songs on it. So, <laughs> I found um, a couple. I mean, Hail to the Thieves there is one of them, but even that for me is like a... But I like bands that have records that don't fully hit the same way. Like, yeah. Because you could hear interesting digressions that don't work, and like when you look back at a whole discography, they, they stand out more. Yeah, um, I, I liked that. I, that was like I had gotten into Radiohead with Kid A, and then I was really excited for Hail to the Thief. I remember the... Like two plus two equals five. That was like one of the first songs released. song there's like some really good songs on there but i remember just not living up to my expectations after kid A. yeah i remember um go to sleep actually that one that, that was the one i first heard and i was like i love this and so i was couldn't wait for the whole and the whole record just never quite hit the same as that song did the hilarious thing that always happens which is the like desire to throw uh an, a first term incumbent out of re-election so like hail to the thief, you know, there was like a lot of like anti, even the titles like a play against Bush. And so yeah. it has, there's this like sense of like, it wasn't immediate enough against him. Like it wasn't obvious enough in bashing him beyond the title. So, you know, like people were kind of like, well, I don't want like long lasting metaphors. I want something that's disposable now, you know, <laughs> like, 
another record that I think is phenomenally good I forgot about for this year is the 13th Step by Perfect Circle. Oh, shit. Yeah, that one's really great, actually. I love every song on that. And speaking of the band Failure, their, their, their cover of the um, Nurse Who Loved Me is a really great cover. Is that on? That's on 13th, 13th Step? Step? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's probably what got me hearing them the first time, actually, was knowing them through that that cover. Um, trying to think what else is uh, coming out here. I mean, you got a lot of, like, the end of a lot of things, like, longtime bands, uh, ones I do like and ones I just kind of just never grabbed to, but, like, bands like Massive Attack have their last real record in a long time. Blur kind of has their last album as well. Like, there's a lot of these people kind of, like, just slowly disappearing, um, kind of having their last hurrah. And so it does feel like a changing of the guard kind of period of time, like 2002, yeah. 2003. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of your 90s groups and stuff like that kind of are just, you know, saying goodbye. And uh, unfortunately, we will eventually have to do that with Typo Negative, but for other reasons. I think they would have survived. I think they would have had a better 2010s had they lived. I agree. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that. Had they rode their thing out and had they been putting out consistent quality like they had even up with even up through Dead Again, yeah. I could totally see them getting into elder statesman things and I could just kind of see it going up. And then I could see it all crashing down when TikTok teens uh, start taking down Peter. You know? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a lot more a, a lot more effective attack if he were actually alive and they're still making music but yeah i love um, that it's just something so fucking funny is like take that dead guy you know like, right <laughs> yeah fuck off yeah you're fucking um, canceled you know like <laughs> yeah imagine getting canceled i can't oof. <laughs> oof man you know what a lot of people were canceled on 9 11 <laughs> including um, all of peter's family which who yeah. all have tragically died on the they were on the observation deck that morning <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny like like 2003 i always associate for me as the year i my my i permanently or not permanently but i did a big long look backwards for a very long time yeah like then that was just because like the era of like pirating music had become available so suddenly yeah, and you combine that back when like all music guide was still good and it wasn't like yeah. fully bought, you know. So I could just look up a band and I would go under the related and I would click other bands, mm -hmm. go Same. to the whole discography, and then I would just load up on Soulseek all the albums in a row. Dude, that's how I found like Big Black, Killing Joke, fuck, Cop Shoot Cop. Like, yeah. A bunch of shit just like looking. I think those all actually came, and Jesus Lizard as well. I think those all came from helmets like related artists or something yeah or, that, oh like, that makes sense that. so yeah that was all music was fucking amazing back then yeah that was a blast uh you know what's funny i think 2002 but the whole point being it is the the silent going silent era the the changing of the guard thing is like i think the, the the classic version of ministry is officially dead that year um, oh really? They they unfortunately do come back, and uh, I always feel like somebody buried when they buried Ministry in o two o three, uh, and you know, and they they clearly threw Paul Barker's body out of the thing, and they just put Al Jorgensen at the pet cemetery because uh, <laughs> I can't help but think that sometimes sometimes dead is better, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you 
Because he comes back with the fucking Chumley from Pawn Stars, a bunch of band members that look like him, <laughs> but playing just like the like playing what sounds like a bad parody of like what if Ministry was really into like ZZ Top, you know, like <laughs> doing like the same sample effects that they were doing that were cutting edge in like '88, you know. So it'd be like 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 a like a cut paste mashup of like George Bush being like I'm going to bomb people I like to kill everybody you know like just this kind of like bad things of doing that like over like a kind of riff and it's like man like like who's buying this you know it was it was cool the first time when you did it with his dad you know because also because his dad's voice is funnier. <laughs> yeah, a new a new world order, you know, like it's like much funnier <laughs> with him. It's all like nasally, and he sounds like a patrician grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, but fuck. but but yeah, like that that sort of thing. Like like I mean, they're basically they've fucking died with a horrifying whimper, and then then they come back awful. Uh, Nine Inch Nails is completely in hiatus. Like I'm trying to think of all the fucking nineties alt rock bands that kind of should have been their peers. White Zombie been dead a while, so we just have Rob Zombie, but this is the beginning of Rob Zombie not making so much music, but beginning to try to make movies. Yeah. You know, he's, he's going to become Rob Zombie the auteur, you know? <laughs> not Rob Zombie the autist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, is there anything else about just that time period or anything? Like, the production end, the cultural end, the fucking, the political end, which is unfortunately inserted in there now. That's what sucks. I thankfully we don't really have to deal with that in the next album though. Like that's this is the only <laughs> time that fucking matters. Right, yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing political on Dead Again. So you know, no, that, but this time it's in the content, it's not in the context. You know what I mean? I don't have to sit there and explain to the audience, you know, you, you, here's what happened in Hurricane Katrina, you know, like I don't have to like <laughs> Oh, should we talk about Peter being on TV at this time? So is this when he would went on like yeah, Ricky Lake? It, Wait, what what was no, this? no, when he was in Oz. Oz, okay, yeah. I mean, it was a very short scene. He had, like, a friend who worked on the show or something, right? Yeah, but that wasn't his only show. Remember, he he, he was also at Becker, Boston Legal, Ally McBeal. Yeah. Peter had lots of weird cameos. Providence. Uh, <laughs> he was on... Seventh he was, Heaven. I was going to say, speaking of Seventh Heaven, he was on that. He was on he put, One Tree Hill. I mean, he was a recurring <laughs> character on One Tree Hill. He was the tree. Yeah, he's just standing there like this. <laughs> he played the tree on the, well, the hill. Well, 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 there's a couple that breaks up, and, and they, one of them says, meet me by the green man, and that's kind of what happens. <laughs> <laughs> they make up, they kiss, and the song, the chorus swells as it happens, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. All I can do is sing with me, and I peace of mind. Right, that was part one of Life is Killing Me. Hopefully you managed to stay awake through the history lesson. Stay tuned for part two. We will be diving into each of the songs. We'll suggest tracks we think the band could have covered, and we will also give some music recommendations based on it. You will also get to hear me mount a very vigorous defense of this album. I'll be calling all haters to task. No one will be spared. No one. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get it. And tell your friends about us. It really helps us get to more ears. 
Oh, and happy birthday to Life is Killing Me. We're putting this out on the 20th anniversary of its release to the day. So that's kind of fun. Good ass album. Next episode's going to be a doozy. So, all right, we'll see you for part two. Bye.